Hi, this is Chris from N3 Architects, and thank you for tuning in to the Home Design Academy podcast. I'm a licensed architect, and I'm here to help your average homeowner understand the complexities of design and construction so that they can make better decisions when they build or remodel their house. And now on to the show. Welcome to the Home Design Academy podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number two, and we're going to be talking about finishing your basement. So finishing your basement is one of the most popular home projects that that homeowners can undertake. The typical basement refinishing project will usually net a 70 to 75% return on your investment as an added value to your house. The average cost of finish your basement is anywhere between $10 and $35 a square foot. And this varies not only by the size of your basement, but by the condition of your basement and what you want to accomplish. Some of the problems that we have to look at, and probably the biggest problem I would say, all relates to moisture. If you got to think, if you have a basement, it's underground, you're surrounded on all sides and underneath by wet, moist soil. And this moisture is always trying to get into the basements from all sides. If you have any visual moisture problems, whether your walls are wet to the touch or condensation forming on the walls, or if your slab is wet, you may want to reconsider finishing your basement. Concrete foundation walls will almost always wick water into the inside, even if you can't see it. Varying temperatures from the slab to the ceiling, where it's warmer at the basement ceiling and colder down near the slab, will have the bottom half of the basement will always build up more condensation than the top half. Insulating your foundation walls does not alleviate the moisture concerns, and in some cases, it could actually make it worse. Just remember, moisture plus a food source equals mold. And what's that food source? It could be any paper or wood material. If you have an older home, most likely you won't, most likely you won't have any foundation waterproofing, drain tile, or anything that could divert the water away. Improper grading around your house could cause even more water to get down around your foundation wall. There's a simple test that you can complete by yourself uh, to see if you have any moisture issues, and that's to get a plastic sheet of poly from your local home goods store and cut it into about two foot by two foot sections and tape it to your walls in a couple locations and tape it to your slab in a couple locations. Now, if you have water droplets forming underneath the plastic, your walls or floors are not sealed properly from moisture and this moisture is getting through to the inside. Now, if you have water droplets forming on top of the plastic, then your basement needs some dehumidification. Just to note, outdoor temperatures and humidity will have an effect on this test. If you have to ask me, I like to plan for the worse. Now, another big concern when you're finishing your basement is egress. If a basement is going to be used for a bedroom, even just a guest bedroom, even just once in a while, Life safety has to be a major concern. Picture yourself sleeping down there and waking up in the middle of the night to a raging fire. Think to yourself, how would you get out? 
you need two ways out or two means of egress. One is going to be up your stairs to the main floor level. And the second way could be out a back door if you have a walkout basement or a hatchway. But if you have to ask me, even if you have two ways out of the basement, if it's used for any sleeping purposes, I would always recommend enlarging the usually small basement windows to create an egress window. Even if this means additional costs for excavation in an area way or a window well around these bedroom windows, no amount of money can replace the life of a loved one. And you do not want to ever be in the situation where someone is trapped down in the basement in the middle of the night with a fire going on with no way out. That is the absolute worst case scenario. Something else to think of is your mechanical systems. Can they support the extra load? Is there proper ventilation into the basement? Uh, you should check for carbon monoxide. Um, and you sh if you have a sump pump, definitely get a backup. Headroom could be a, co could be a concern. Most states call for seven to seven and a half feet of clearance for habitable spaces. If you don't have that clearance, and this is measured from your finished floor level to your finished ceiling, you will need to excavate down or just choose a different home renovation project. If you're unsure of what your specific headroom is, you can call a local architect, a local contractor, or even the building inspector in your town. Radon is another huge topic to think about when you're dealing with finishing basements. It's too big of a topic to cover to cover in this episode, so I think I might I might have radon as its own separate episode. Um, but I would definitely recommend testing for radon and, if needed, installing a radon mitigation system. So what are your steps to finish your basement? This is exactly how I would go about it um, in the order that I would go about these projects. And now you can hire someone uh, to do it all at once, or if you want, you can even do it a little bit at a time. Everyone's going to have their own different sequence, and every contractor will want to do things a little bit differently. So take this list as a general guide and talk to your contractor or architect if you're, if you're having an architect uh, come in and help you. Um, and go over these this list, and th that should be a good starting point. The first thing you want to do is completely seal any cracks in your foundation wall or your slab. Any cracks that are less than a half an inch can be sealed with hydraulic cement. Anything larger than that, you should get a structural engineer to inspect and make recommendations. The next thing I like to do is I like to put dry lock waterproof paint on all of your foundation walls. Even if you don't have water or condensation issues, I just think that this is a good, a good step just to make sure uh, that you don't have any problems. The next step you want to do if your concrete slab is not sealed, you would definitely want to seal your slab. How do you know if your if your slab isn't sealed? Well, if it's incredibly dusty down there, most likely it's not sealed. The next thing I would do is I would insulate the rim joist. Now, the rim joist is where your floor framing for your floor above, where this floor framing hits the foundation wall all the way around the perimeter. That's called the rim. Now, there's several different ways to insulate your rim joist. I'm going to go over three quick ones right here. The first way would be to install fiberglass bat insulation. Now, this would be the easiest, quickest, and cheapest way to do it. But that doesn't mean it's the best. You do not want any fiberglass bat insulation touching any part of the foundation wall. So that's one concern you have to look, look out for. Another concern 
is that this rim joist is a huge point of air infiltration and and heat loss or cold or cool loss if you're in a if you're in a warm climate so if you can stop the air infiltration at this point at the rim you're gonna have lower heating and cooling bills in more comfortable space so the next two types of of ways to insulate this rim joist i think do a better job and so the first one would be to get a minimum of one inch thick rigid insulation and then you would cut the rigid insulation to fit in between the floor frame menu members and then you would caulk around the edges now this isn't going to get you a lot of r value but this will be a good easy not that expensive way to to minimize your air infiltration once this is done you can use your fiberglass bats and and go about finishing the space the third way to go about insulating the rim joist would be to use a closed cell spray foam insulation this is going to give you your best air sealing and your highest r value per inch now what i would do personally is i would only spray about an inch just do a flash coat and then go back with bats afterwards that would get you the the air sealing properties and it will get you uh and then you can use the bats for for cost savings once your rim joist and your the perimeter of the of the rim is completely insulated, your next step would be to install rigid insulation on the face of the foundation walls and seal all of your joints. Now, why would you want to install this rigid insulation, this one inch thick R5 rigid insulation? It's not necessarily for an R value. I mean, yes, you will get a little a little R value, a little a little heat retention out of it, but what you really want is you do not want any wood studs or you do not want any fiberglass insulation touching that foundation wall. So this rigid insulation, when you uh, adhere it to the foundation wall, to the face of the foundation wall, it creates a barrier that won't allow any moisture to wick through. Because if that fiber, if you if you fur out the walls and that fiberglass insulation touches the foundation wall, then you're going to have water just being sucked through. Now, once you have rigid insulation installed on all your foundation walls, the next thing would be to fur out those foundation walls. Now, if you're worried about moisture, metal studs would be the best. But if you want to just use wood studs, that's perfectly fine. Just make sure that you use pressure-treated plates on any point where the wood is in contact with your concrete slab. Just let me repeat that. you got to use pressure-treated plates. And if you want a little extra protection, you can put a sill sealer underneath your pressure treated plate. Once you got your foundation walls furred out with your studs, you can go ahead with the cavity insulation. You can use fiberglass bats. Uh, you can use spray foam. Or instead of fiberglass bats, I would prefer to use mineral wool bats. They'll be a little bit more expensive. You'll get a little higher R value. But the great thing about using mineral wool is that it not only is moisture resistant and will not grow mold, but it's also fireproof as well. Fire resistant, I should say. No matter what you do, do not use a polyethylene vapor barrier in your basement. Put up your studs, put up your insulation, put up your sheetrock, and then paint, and that will be enough of a vapor barrier. You do not want the plastic vapor barrier well, I don't think you want to use it anywhere in your house these days because the, the, 
the building technology is telling you otherwise. But you definitely do not want to use this polyethylene vapor barrier in your basement. So once you got the perimeter of your foundation walls furred out and insulated, the next thing you want to do is build any interior partitions, create any rooms you want to you want to make. Then once you go do that, it will be on to sheetrock. Now this, pay attention to this. You cannot just go and buy normal sheetrock and throw it up in your basement and think that you're going to be okay. You need to use paperless drywall. Not your, not the water-resistant type of drywall that's kind of like an in-between product that can be used for bathrooms. You want paperless drywall or a dense glass type of product that's rated for wet locations. The reason why you want paperless drywall is goes back to the moisture issue. If you have any moisture, which you will, any paper drywall is a food source for mold. And what you don't want is you do not want mold growing unbeknownst to you within your walls and have a big problem down the line. Down the line. So once you got all the interior partitions up uh, and your sheetrock uh, installed, the next thing would be putting your electrical, plumbing, and HVAC. Obviously, you know I'm just using these basic steps. Obviously, you you would run all your rough electrical, plumbing, heating, and air conditioning and ventilation before you would put sheetrock up. That's pretty obvious, and I hope everyone knows this. I'm just breaking it down into steps here. The first thing you want to do when you're worrying about your mechanical systems is you make sure you have good dehumidification. Get a dehumidifier. Make sure it drains into a sump pump if you have it. Good ventilation is also key. I would hire the as the, the best HVAC technician that you can afford. Make sure you go over everything with them and make sure that they're balancing everything properly, they're sealing everything properly, and they're providing the required ventilation. Again, you do not want a smelly, damp, musty basement. Be sure to install smoke and carbon monoxide detectors. For your plumbing, you want to insulate all your pipes before enclosing them because it's not just to keep the, the, the hot water hotter or the colder water colder. The, one of the reasons why you insulate your plumbing is because condensation will form on the, on the pipes. And then once you have condensation build up, there's, again, the possibility of mold growth inside your walls and ceilings. If you want to add a bathroom to your basement, depending on the lo- location and height of your sanitary pipe where it leaves the house, you may need to add a sewage ejector. So uh, essentially, if, you're, if your sanitary drain pipe is above the slab, if it's up along the wall, the foundation wall, like it is in most houses, then you're going to need either not be able to put a bathroom downstairs, or you're going to need to add this sewer ejector pump that gets the waste, you know, vertical. If your sanitary pipe leaves your house underneath your slab, then then no problem. You can just tie right into it. When it comes to finishes for floors, I would highly suggest avoiding all hardwood flooring. Again, you're dealing with a basement you're going to have moisture, you're going to have expansion and contraction of, of wood floors, and it's just not a good idea. I, I, I know a lot of people would also put a carpet down in the basement. It's cheap, it's easy, it's comfortable under your feet, it's good for the kids, and you know, it goes back to cost again. But I really don't like, I really don't like carpet in the basement. I would much rather uh, see so you install a laminate flooring or a tile flooring would be your best options. 
But if you need to go with a carpet for for cost savings or if you just like carpet and you want a carpet down there, I would you know make sure that it's a mold-resistant synthetic fibers in your carpet. If you really want to get fancy with your flooring, you can consider putting a floating plywood subfloor. So this would this would entail uh, a small framing members, furring strips laid out on on your concrete slab, and then plywood over that to give you a little air space. And then once you have your plywood subfloor down, then you can put uh, whatever flooring you want. If you're doing this, this might be this might be a better way to add carpet. Uh, it gets the carpet off of the concrete slab, and it won't have the wicking properties uh, through the through the slab that, that I mentioned before. Ceilings. Most of the time, you're going to have a drop ceiling down in your basement, and this is you know to provide access to mechanical, and electrical, uh, and plumbing systems. Uh, you're going to have to frame out around ductwork and finish with sheetrock. Again, make sure you use paperless drywall. Some other tips if you're thinking about refinishing your basement. A lot of houses have a drain tile around the perimeter of the inside of the basement, which drains into a sump pump. If you see this condition in your house, if you if you see that the, that the perimeter of your concrete slab was you know cut up and, and removed at one point or another and a drain tile was installed, then that's a clear indication that at one point your house had water issues in the basement. I would... If you're new to living in in this house and you have this condition around the perimeter of your slab, you definitely want to wait a year or two and see just how your basement reacts to the different seasons. If you're building a new house or even if you have an existing house and you want to finish your basement, I always recommend installing an exterior drain tile system. This is a this is a perforated pipe that goes around the perimeter of your footing. This footing drain will catch any water that's that's down in the soil uh, and divert it away from the house. I know a lot of contractors will say that you don't need a footing drain if you have a slab on grade situation. I always like to install it anyways, just in case. Um, I think it never hurts. And if you really want to go all out, if you're really concerned about water getting into your basement, you could even excavate around the, the side of your house all the way down to the footing level, install a two-coat waterproofing, and then refill it in with dirt. All right, so now we're going to move into stories from the job site. This is uh, a story of something that happened to me on a project about 15 years ago. This is a multifamily pro- multifamily housing project. It was a senior housing project. It was about 60 units, uh, 61 bedroom units. And one of the ways to to save money to cut costs uh, was to have the wall framing panelized, which means all your wall framing is built in a factory, loaded on a truck, and then delivered to the job site. Well, this this particular project, this particular situation, these wall panels came to the job in just absolutely horrible condition. They were soaking wet. Many of the studs were warped and bowed, and the crowns were not installed in the same direction. The, the GC superintendent needed to personally inspect each wall panel and repro- approve or reject the quality. And I would say probably more than half of the panels were rejected and sent back to the factory and had to be remade. Now, there was no direct extra cost to the owner because this was a subcontractor issue. 
uh, and the general contractor and the subcontractor worked it out with them themselves. But there was delays to the construction timeline due to the refabrication of the wall panels. Now, I would say technology and these panelized systems have come a long way in the fa- in the past few years. So you may not have this exact if- issue. And I've built you know five or six projects that have these uh, that have the the wall framing panelized like this. And this was the only real project that was that bad of condition when they came. So it's just something to look out for. If you're working with a contractor, even on a house, and they're talking about having your wall framing panelized, just say that you want him to personally inspect each and every wall panel to make sure that everything's done correctly. It will just, you know, catching it before it comes off the truck or as it's coming off the truck before it's installed in your house, that would just, you know, it would just be a, a better situation than have them putting everything up and then having to knock out studs and, and reapply studs and patch it in here and there. It's just that's just not a good situation you want to be in. All right, so now we're going to move into the Ask an Architect segment. So this question comes in. And the question is very simple, and it was, says, what is the best way to start a project? Now, I'm, I'm assuming that they're talking about a house project. Probably the easiest way to answer this is in one of two ways. I always, always, always like to start with an evaluation of your site. Starting with the site planning, you can observe the environmental conditions and you know what's happening around the site you can see where the sun's coming from where the sun angles are in the winter where the sun angles are in the summer if there's any views where are the prevailing winds coming from where are your property lines where are your setbacks do you have any ledge or any rock outcroppings that's going to impact the uh the the placement of the building think about like what type of sanitary system uh is going to be used is it going to be is it going to be a septic or is it going to be on on city sewer Um, because if you have to plan for a septic system that might be a consideration of where you can place the house so once you get all these uh site planning and environmental conditions mapped out that should give you a, a good a good basis on where to start placing your house the other way i like to start a project is through a system called performance programming Now, if there's any architects listening, they probably are familiar with performance programming. So programming, for all of you that don't know, programming, I'm not talking about computer programming. I'm talking about how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, you know, those sort of conditions. Performance programming, though, really gets into how you live in in a house, how you live in a space and how you actually use it. What you what's your morning routine? Where do you put your keys do you keep your house really clean or does it kind of just stuff piled up and thrown everywhere? Do you like to wake up early? Do you like to sleep late? Um, do you need uh, do you need bedrooms separated from living rooms for noise concerns? All this stuff. The real way on how you actually live in a house. Now I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a whole uh, podcast segment on performance programming, so I'm not gonna get too much into it uh, here. But those are for the best way to start a project, performance programming, how you're actually going to live in the house, and then site planning and what's your, what are your environmental conditions. Those are the two best ways to start. 
and I don't even like thinking about what the house is going to look like or what style or what finishes. It's way too early to even be considering those sort of things. Let your site planning, let your performance programming dictate where you go from here, and then you can move on to the next step. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Home Design Academy podcast. I hope you've enjoyed yourself and learned something along the way. Make sure to like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you'd like to have your question answered on the Ask an Architect segment, please send an email to hda.n3architect at gmail.com. That's hda.n3architect at gmail.com. Visit n3architecture.com for all the show notes and other useful information. Tune into the next episode. Thank you and goodbye.